This, uh, this evening we're going to continue at looking uh, you know, into Nehemiah. Um, we are in this process of constructing our hope. Because <clears throat> whenever we come to this and we think about it, uh, you know, God wants us and needs us to be a people of hope. Because the world has lost all hope. But our hope comes from Him. So Nehemiah is teaching us this, and we are constructing this through Nehemiah and the uh, Jewish people or the Israelites in reconstructing the wall. And we're looking still here in chapter 4, verses 7 through 15. But tonight, there's a couple of passages that's in there that I want us to really, uh, you know, to focus on. So last week we talked about this and last week we talked about how difficult it is to continue or to complete a project after the second half uh, or whenever you're about halfway through it really begin you know it really gets difficult um, uh, and I confessed uh, you know as far as my inability to be able to work once I've had lunch uh, you know, once I've had lunch, it's kind of, you know, pretty much things shut down. Uh, you know, I was that way in school. Uh, you know, once I had lunch, uh, you know, the next two classes, yeah, uh, you know, if I stayed awake, uh, you know, my basketball coach was my civics teacher and he had me right after lunch and he, he got it. Uh, he wouldn't allow me to have both legs on the floor at the same time. So whenever I sat in my desk, one of my feet had to be off the floor. Now, I couldn't prop it on the desk in front of me. I literally had to hold it off the floor. So whenever that leg got tired, I'd put it down and I'd pick the other one up. But it kept me awake. Now, it didn't necessarily mean that I learned civics, but I was awake. But we talked about that, how it's difficult for us. Uh, you know, whenever we think about this... Uh, you know, Satan, uh, you know, even learns, uh, you know, so as we are in our lives and as we become Christians and, uh, you know, we're on fire and we're gung-ho for God and we're, uh, you know, we're going and we're doing the work that he has for us to do, Satan is fighting us with the old things of our lives because that's what he knows. Uh, you know, he, is, he knows that pattern, so he keeps bringing up the old things of our lives but we have changed from those old things so they no longer have that, uh, you know, that hold on us. Or, or they shouldn't, uh, you know, because we're new creatures. But as we continue to go and we continue to grow, then our temptations and the things that we struggle with, they change. Satan learns that they change, so then he begins to change, uh, you know, his tactics, Now, I think about this, and I look out here at the crowd of the group of people that we have tonight, and Satan has most probably changed his tactics in your life several different times. 
And it could be that right now Satan is looking at you and he's saying, okay, the only way that I have left now is, is that I can try my best to get them to doubt that Jesus is ever coming back because it's been so long that we've been talking about this that we begin to question on whether or not it's going to happen. Please don't look at me like I'm crazy. People for over 2,000 years have been talking about Jesus Christ's return. And there are people that have stopped believing because he hasn't came back. There are people that have fallen into that trap. There are people that continually today try to predict when he's going to come back. Do whatever you want to do until now because... Uh, you know, this particular date because he's coming back here and you got to get everything right. When was the last big one that we had? When was the last big deal that we had that the world was coming to an end? Well, you had the Y2K, uh, you know, when the 2000, because calendars, because computers didn't have the ability to go into 2000 and figure out that there was more days after 2000. But what about the Mayans' uh, calendar? Their calendar stopped. And they're like, oh man, they know what's going on. And since their calendar stops on this day, then that means that the world's going to stop on this day and Jesus is coming back. And it didn't happen. Can I predict this for you? If somebody predicts that Jesus is coming back on a specific day, just don't worry about it because he's not coming back that day. Because he says no one knows the time nor the hour, the day, the time, the hour that he's coming back. So if somebody says he's coming back on March 31st of 2019, don't believe him. But I believe that Satan has that ability to be able to change as our as our lives change. So it's not that this life gets easier. It's that the temptations become different. The temptations are always there. We hope that we get stronger. That we can resist the temptations. But sometimes we get tired, don't we? That's where we are here with Nehemiah and the, and the people. Let's look at verse 10. Go down to verse 10. Chapter 4, verse 10. It says, Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. So do you see this? Here we're looking at this and we were talking about time and we're talking about this tiredness. The people are getting tired. What's one of the things that happens to you whenever you get tired? You get grumpy. Another thing that happens to you whenever you get tired is that the problem that's in front of you always looks bigger than it really is. We cannot truly assess 
the situation whenever we're tired. Our life is going on. Satan in this world is constantly battling us. We're tired. We look up and we're like, God, I can't make it today. God, I don't know if I can continue doing this today. The problem always seems bigger than what it is. Because they had already built the wall to halfway. So if they were reusing the rubble that was there, it's half as big as it was whenever they began. But at this point in time, they look at it and like, oh my goodness, we're not going to be able to handle it. We can't assess things properly. But then we go into 11. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, or our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near their enemies or near the enemies came and told them again and again, they will come down or they will come from all directions and attack you. So Nehemiah verse 13, so I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the, in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. So let's look at this. I placed the armed guards behind the lowest parts of the exposed area. Where is your weakest point? Where is it? Where do you struggle? What do you struggle with the most? Nehemiah says, put your points or put your extra strength, your extra people, put them right there. Now, if you don't have an accountability partner, you're on your own. So does that tell you that you need to have accountability partners? I'm tired. This is my weak point. Peggy and I, uh, this afternoon, Robbie was, was playing some music and stuff, and it was about fear. And I walked out the two doors right there, and I just simply looked at Peggy. And I said, I fear failure. I fear failing God. I fear that if I do or in doing the things that he has for me, that if it doesn't succeed, that's my fear. So Nehemiah tells us that if that's the fact, 
then you need somebody standing there praying for you that God will hold you still and hold you firm even if you do fail. Because He loves you regardless if you fail or not. Remember this morning? He loves you because He created you. He doesn't love you because you accomplish a lot of things for Him. He doesn't love you because your ministry is big. He doesn't love you because you've never failed at anything. He loves you because He created you. You need to have someone to hold you up. Nehemiah talked about it. Oh, but the other part of this. It says, I stationed the people to stand guard by, say it, families. Satan has known from the beginning of time, if he can destroy the family, then he's got us. If he can get inside the church and he can begin to manipulate things inside the family of God, he can destroy a church. He can tear apart a family. And a family that has a history like Diane was talking about with a loving mother and father. Satan can still get into that family and destroy it. We have to put guard around our families, churches, church people. We've got to pray for the families. Those are important. Those are key things that Nehemiah is showing us here that those are things that are worth protecting. Those are things of value. And then he says that he armed them with swords, spears, and bows. It's a battle. He didn't arm them with feathers. He didn't give them sticks. He gave them bows. He gave them spears. And swords. Because it is a battle. And it's a battle to life and death. It is a battle because we know that Satan has came to kill and to destroy all who believe in God. It says, then I looked over the situation. I called the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, do not be afraid of your enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your home."
Don't be afraid of your enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. But then why does he go in and why does he tell us after saying those things, he says, fight for your brothers, your sisters, your daughters, your sons, your wives, your homes. God's there for us. But we still have to do something. He will give us everything that we need to fight the battle. But if we stand there with our hands in our pockets, or if we sit where we are, Satan will destroy us. So, in this second half, or third half, or fourth half of your life, wherever you want to place yourself, we have to seek the strength of God. Because we must press on. We must press on to the end. Continue to fight. Continue to walk with Christ. To continue to witness to others. To continue this battle. Because there's other people that's coming behind us. That needs us. There's other people in our families that need us to protect them. There's other people that God has placed in our lives that needs us to protect them. There's people in our lives that God has put there that He needs for us to teach. We need to teach them how to hold the sword. We need to teach them about the shield of faith. We need to teach them about what God can do, how great and mighty and powerful He is. But the thing about this is, is that Nehemiah did none of this on his own. It was always a corporate event. It was always, always corporate. This life that he has given to us to live was never meant for us to live it alone. meant to be lived with others. It's meant to be lived for others. We find that because back in verse 9, Nehemiah says that we prayed to our God. 
we prayed our God. It's corporate. And whenever there's a bunch of people doing work, you get a whole lot more done than you do by yourself, right? You get a whole lot more done. But the thing that I really like about it is, is that there's other people that know how to do things that you don't know how to do. I'm not an electrician, but Booger is. I can ride a lawnmower. I can. I can I can even use a weed eater. Ask Booger. I used it once. But there's things that other people can do that I can't do. There's things that people can do that you can't do. It's gotta be corporate. We've gotta do this together. It's not that we can't grow the church unless we're together, which I don't think that we can. I'm pretty sure that we can't. We have to be working together. We have to be working with God to grow the church. But there's things in your life that you can't do that you need someone else to do. I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm talking about your friends. I'm talking about your other family members. There are things that there's things that I struggle with that Peggy doesn't. That Peggy helps me with. Dare I say this? My son Andrew does things. And has the ability to do things that I can't do. I learn from him. I need his help in this. Gene, I need your help in this too. We all have. We all need someone else. It's corporate. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for tonight. Uh, you know, God, as we, as we see this, and God, as we continue to construct this life of hope, uh, you know, God, I pray, dear Lord, that tonight... You know, God, if there's anyone that's tired, God, that you would give them someone to help strengthen them. Or, God, that you would give them strength tonight. God, I pray, dear Lord, that you would help us to stand in the gaps of the families that's in this church. And, God, that we would provide support for them. God, I pray, God, that we would provide support for the widows of the church. God, that we would come in behind and that we would hold them up in prayer 
Because, God, this life that you give to us, it's not just about me or about us, just individuals. God, this is a corporate life that you have led us to. God, I pray that you'll be with us, that you'll continue to guide us and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand for dismissal. Remember, choir members, uh, you have choir tonight. Uh, Going to run over, um, I think, a couple of songs uh, for the Christmas. Uh, so be uh, ready for that. Uh, and uh, you know, so you know, that's tonight. We have uh, the women have uh, women of worth. Their meeting tomorrow at Mary's at six thirty. You can arrive at six o'clock if you would like to have fellowship before you eat, or however it works. But uh, you know. That's tomorrow, uh, you know, there as well. All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, so much for this evening. Uh, you know, God, I pray that your face would shine upon us, and God, that you would bless each one that is here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.